the first time I tweeted about being undocumented was the day after Trump got elected. And I mean, you get backlash like right away from trolls on the internet. So I knew what I was getting myself into. I think overall people have been supportive and in many ways it made life easier because this huge secret and burden that I was carrying was now off my chest. Hello and welcome to the Alien Chronicles. I am your host Sadia Khan. Today I have invited a very special guest on my show. I heard her story a few months back and I was so moved that I included her monologue in one of my upcoming shows. But there was so much more to talk about and therefore I decided to do an entire episode with her. Gosha Labno is a DACA recipient but she's almost never taken for one because she does not match the American narrative of what a DACA recipient should look like. She is a blonde blue-eyed immigrant from Poland. She's also a communications specialist at a firm in Chicago and the co-founder of Cultura, an online magazine profiling change makers in an effort to inspire those who will undoubtedly follow. Gosha holds an MA in Middle Eastern Studies from University of Chicago and a BS in Media and Cinema Studies from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. We will talk to Gosha about her experiences as a DACA recipient from Central Europe. Welcome Gosha, so happy to have you on my show. Hi Sadia, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So let's start with your childhood in Poland. What was it like growing up there? Can you talk about your childhood, your experiences and your and culture at home? Growing up in Poland, I would say was much simpler than life in Chicago because my grandparents were already in Chicago. I actually spent a lot of summers and winters before my family moved here in the states so i was like the kid who often traveled to america which meant something i came from a loving home we had a big house because people in poland have big houses <laughs> and a big yard and you could just go outside and play outside in ways that you can't in a big city like chicago Um okay. it seems like your life in Poland was very comfortable and then you came to US when you were 9 this was summer before 9/11 and then your family basically they they came on visit visa and then they overstayed why why did they decide to do that so my grandfather worked for Greyhound he was an engineer And my grandma was a housekeeper and she started out in hotels and then she began working for a family that my mom to this day works for. So when it was time for my grandma to retire, my mom came and took over that job. So that's why we moved here and yes, life in Poland was comfortable. It was simple. I think the state really offered opportunities that my parents thought to me and my brother couldn't get there 
which may or may not be true, but I will say that the American dream is more alive in Poland than it is in any other European country. I think Poland still loves America, even to this day, and I don't think a lot of other Europeans will (laughs) agree with that. But yeah, it was really so that my mom could work here. We would earn, you know, more money and just, I guess she wanted to be closer to her parents and her brothers were already here as well. And what about your dad? Was it a mutual decision? Was your dad okay with that? That's a good question. I have no idea, I think, because I was so young. The decision making was, you know, made behind doors that I didn't have access to. So when we came, it was actually my mom who came in January of that year. And then I followed the summer after that. And then my younger brother and my dad followed a month after. And my brother at the time was pre-school age. So when he came here, he started kindergarten. Whereas with me, there was an urgency to just get me started in school so that I wouldn't have to do like half a year in Poland. And half a year here, especially because I went to a private school in Poland. And then I had an older brother and he stayed behind. He was already married. He never came to America. And what were a few initial months like in the U.S. in in terms of adjusting to a culture? I wouldn't say new because you had visited U.S. a few times, but just, you know, going to school in the U.S. Can you walk us through that? Sure. So I... We moved into an apartment that my grandparents were living in. It was in a busy part of the city. And being like in the heart of the city was so shocking. And I mean, perhaps not culturally shocking, but more so like imagine a kid moving from like a big house to an apartment. It was more that. Like for me, moving into an apartment was just this awful thing that happened. My memories of those first few months really are tainted by 9-11. My mom worked downtown. She had a couple of days where she was in one of the major skyscrapers in the city and hearing, you know, I remember not understanding what happened, but I remember that the second I understood, I was so fearful for her life. And I kind of think of that moment as the second where I became American. Like I now have the same fears as everybody else. That's such an interesting point because I think I came around that time when 9-11 happened. We were all scared. And it's interesting you say that, that like every, I think, person at the time was so paranoid and so scared that it was, I think, one universal emotion that everybody living in the U.S., was going through. Going back to your family overstaying visa and being undocumented, when did the reality of being undocumented and the limitations that came with it sink in? Or when did you realize that the kind of limitations that you face, other Americans don't? So I went to Wayne Tech, which is one of the biggest, it is actually the biggest public high school in the city and it has many wonderful opportunities you have to test into it and there's a driver's ed program I know not everybody has this but you basically take a class that substitutes gym and you learn how to drive and then you go to the DMV and you get your license without having to do the test 
So being like the only kid who didn't get her license was, I would say, frustrating. It seemed unfair. I had to play it off. In addition to that, I attended a French, it's called the Alliance Française. So it's a French after school program that I got a scholarship for. And at the end of the program, which lasted two years, there's a handful of students selected to go to France for free. And I was one of those kids. And I, in this room, full of all my classmates had to say that I'm not going to go. Please pull me out of this. And of course, the teacher was like, why? How? Like, this is such an amazing opportunity. What's wrong with you? And I was like, well, can we talk after class? And that was the first time that I told anyone outside of my family. How old were you at the time? 17. So basically from 9 to 17, you did not confide in anybody other than your, obviously your family knew and nobody else did. Right. I don't even think it was my friends knew. So how did your teacher react? I mean, he was surprised and understanding when I told him. I instead got to go to a, it's called the Concordia Language Village in Bemidji, Minnesota. And my mom was too scared for me to fly on the plane. So I was the one kid who took the bus over there. But, you know, I got that opportunity instead, which was so wonderful. And uh, Gosha, how did you end up in University of Chicago? (laughs) So that is a classic tale of me having no clue what I wanted to do with my life. When DACA was announced, I was really excited and I applied to like all of my dream internships and I got one. So the summer after I went to New York and I worked for NBC. As an intern, and then I had one semester left of college at U of I because I graduated early, and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I thought I wanted to work in the film industry. Turns out I hate New York. I probably don't want to live in LA, so it just seemed like I had to cross that off that list, and I thought, well, I'm a good student, and I enjoy learning. Maybe I should go to grad school. So during my time at NBC, I got to know the director of international distribution for films because I was at Focus Features, which is like the independent, you know, art house film division of NBC Universal. And he was always complaining about the Middle East distributor. You know, like he would call him in the middle of the night and just no barriers, nothing. So I was like, well, I started thinking about the Middle East. Maybe I can go to grad school and, you know, do media in the Middle East. And the spring had happened and, like, people, everyone was talking about it, writing about it. So that's what I applied for. And I, with no Arabic, Persian, Turkish training before then, miraculously got accepted at the University of Chicago and some other schools. I chose UFC because it was close to home. And I mean, it was... And it's a great school. (laughs) The best program. Yeah, it's a great school. (laughs) And it was just an amazing experience. My thesis changed completely when I met my thesis advisor and fell in love with his work and really wanted to work with him. So I ended up writing about 
Ottoman-Polish diplomatic relations in the 16th century. Oh, interesting. So that was fun. And I would have loved to do a PhD, but I really needed to do international research. And I am one of those people with DACA who did not take advantage of advanced parole. So I was too scared to travel abroad even though the promise that you're able to come back without any problems was there. I just, I had opportunities to go abroad and I never took them. And now, of course, that advanced parole is gone. I am regretting it a lot. But yeah, that's how I ended up at UFC. So you don't look like what Americans perceive to be a DACA recipient. I said this in my intro as well. Kusha, does it help or hurt? That is a tough question. And one that I get asked a lot, I had a moment in grad school when a classmate told me, you are not white. You're not what Americans consider to be white. Of course, you know, if you just look at me, like I 100%, let me clarify, identify as white, (laughs) right? Yeah. yeah. There's no, yeah, (laughs) like I'm white. But when you look at me, I don't look like I mean of course I could be an immigrant but no one is ever like let's stop her because maybe she doesn't have her papers right Hmm. I think it helps in people not assuming that about me which is important but you know also growing up in Chicago I never really experienced anyone being targeted or heard of it until I was older. And maybe it's just because it was hidden, but you know, it's not, it's a segregated city and it is a racist city in many ways, but it's not a conservative part of the country, right? Where that's like a daily fear that some folks may have. So why do you think that classmate of yours said what was said? Like what was he or she basing it on? What, What do you think? This, so I'm struggling with this topic now as I actually write an essay about my whiteness. I think, you know, when Americans say white, they really mean white, like middle class American citizen who speaks perfect English and who lives in like a suburban home. I mean, of course, in the city too, you can live, but it's I don't think that a DACA recipient, even though I'm white, falls under the American category of white. I mean, my father is, he recently passed away and he's white, but just because he's white, he didn't get more care in the hospital. In fact, he was mistreated because he was undocumented and uninsured and the hospital knew that. And that's so sad to hear. And do you think it's function of social status in the society or how financially secure you are? Yes, 100%. And my previous relationship was with a Black man who came from an upper middle class family and has known no struggles in his life. And I just sometimes, you know, like when you think Being in that relationship was really interesting. I don't want to say, this is obviously a hard thing to talk about, right? Race is a super sensitive issue. Mm -hmm. But 
I do think that it is a function of social status, as you say, and wealth, which are tied, of course. And I think that sometimes whiteness, the American idea of whiteness has absolutely nothing to do with skin color. That's such an interesting perspective. And I I say this very often that brown people like me, in order for them to succeed in this society, we have to belong to a certain social class in order for us to Mm -hmm. be respected. And that's the reality of the present day U.S. It's you are judged on that. It's a capitalistic society at the end of the day. I'm not discounting being judged on basis of your religion, ethnicity, your skin color, but this is an additional layer. And, and yeah. that plays into our biases and whatever we perceive of the so-called other. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, so here's the thing. Like, as a European DACA recipient, according to Pew Research, there are less than 1% DACA recipients from Europe. And the way, again, you look, it was probably easier to go unnoticed. Then why did you decide to join this immigration fight and tell people that you're undocumented? Because you really didn't have to, right? Other than obviously, um, for obvious reasons, the way you told your professor, but you could still go unnoticed. Yeah. Well, I feel like I did have to, right? First of all, everyone knows that the attack on DACA has absolutely nothing to do with the DACA, and it's the result of the racist presidency, right? It's really an attack on Latin American people. That's what it is. So before Jeff Sessions made his announcement, and there were, you know, all these speculations, what's going to happen? My friend, and you know him as well, Juan Escalante, I remember he called me, and I was at the beach, and he's like, listen, you're white, we need your voice, so think about it. And I am someone who hates speaking out about things because I enjoy being behind the camera or, you know, writing about other people. And I was just like, oh my God, I really, really, really have to do this. Hmm. And so I did. Yeah, I started doing the interviews. I started the first time I tweeted about being undocumented was the day after Trump got elected. And I mean, you get backlash like right away from trolls on the Internet. So I knew what I was getting myself into. I think overall people have been supportive. And in many ways, it made life easier because this huge secret and burden that I was carrying was now off my chest. You know, any employer that I apply to work for will Google me and will know right away that I have DACA and they will know what that means and what the risks are. So that makes it easier, right? Of course, there are some awkward conversations, but now I'm just like, if I date anyone, Anything I do, my whole entire public persona is like DACA, just to be like, this is what you're dealing with, A, but also this is not, you know, a Hispanic, Latin American thing. It affects Africans, people from the Arab countries, you know, like Asia, Europe, even though the percentage is way smaller, we're still here. And it's unfair to tie it to other 
like the issue with the border wall, right? Yeah. Or it's unfair to talk about undocumented immigrants as they're just from Mexico. They're just from here. Well, they're not. So talking about DACA, Democrats have introduced a bill, Dream and Promise Act, which is also known as H.R. 6, which will give legal mm-hmm. status to about two and a half million, including dreamers and those who have temporary humanitarian protections, basically temporary protected status, TPS, and put them mm-hmm. on path to citizenship. What are your thoughts on that? This is going to make me sound so bad. I just feel like politics from my visits to D.C. is a nasty game. And this is what's really discouraging about it. You know, bills get introduced and I have no hope that this will pass. (laughs) Yeah. When DACA was rescinded the first time, I was like, all right, great. This puts a deadline on something and maybe they will act and maybe something positive will come from this. And clearly it hasn't yet. And I think it's, you know, maybe it's because I'm not as optimistic as other people, but I don't count on anything. I do not count on the Democrats. I mean, we know what President Obama did. There are stories about why DACA even became a thing that do not paint him in the most positive light. So I don't think of the Democrats and anything they introduce as like a saving instrument. And to be honest, even if this bill were to pass, and as you said, it will most likely not pass because it won't pass in Republican Senate. But even if it were to, for dreamers, it is going to be complicated. Like they would be allowed to apply for conditional permanent residency, which they would be granted under certain conditions. For instance, they arrived in the U.S. before turning 18. How many years did they spend in the U.S.? They have to have at least four years. They were not convicted of any felony. They have high school diplomas. So, I mean, for those who think that somehow this will miraculously solve all the problems and all the dreamers will be given passports or green cards the next day, that's a misconception. It's a path to citizenship. And I, I do strongly feel that the narrative around DACA and around immigration is so negative right now. Let's talk a little bit about your magazine, Gosha. Kultura. What does Kultura mean? It means culture. And I started this magazine with my best friend, Marushka. We launched on October 5th, 2017. Or wait, what year are we? (laughs) We're in 2019, right? (laughs) So we launched in 2018 (laughs) and we profile young change makers, activists, artists, anyone who's doing anything fun and exciting that hasn't been picked up by the mainstream media in order to A, give them something to add to their portfolio, right? So I will write this piece and you should be proud of it. And use it to help you succeed Mm. and be to inspire others who, as I like to say, will undoubtedly follow because they will, right? Like look at these regular people who are doing amazing things. We're not reading about it. We're not writing about people who come from like 
the Kylie Jenner type of billionaire, right? You're born into this family and this great wealth. That's not what we're writing about. <laughs> and what's the website? If listeners were to check out your website, where should they go? Kulturamag.com. K-U-L-T-U-R-A-M-A-G.com. What are your hopes and dreams at this point? So I want to continue succeeding within my career and growing within that. I do hope to return back to school. I'm very passionate about my thesis and think it would be a great PhD dissertation, although I'm sure everybody says that. So I think in the next two or three years, I would like to apply to those programs and return to school. And I also hope that my dog will stop peeing on my bed at some <laughs> point in his life. <laughs> and if you were to describe America in one word, all the experiences that you've gone through and you're experiencing still, how would you do that? It really, it is the land of opportunity. So I will say, opportunity. I think there are so many, you know, learning experiences available to us, no matter how you approach it. I mean, where else could I have gone to a local university and learned about a culture that is so far from here? But then I can go, you know, to a Turkish store. Like we have the cultural experiences that you can gain in America. I don't want to say it's equivalent to traveling the world because of course it's not. But if you're open and you're willing to look for that, then I think you will really, really enrich yourself. And then of course you can do anything in America. You can make a movie, you can become (laughs) a songwriter, you can, I don't know. You can create a podcast. That's what I'm doing. (laughs) Create a podcast. Exactly. (laughs) And if you could change one thing about America, what what would that be? I could change one thing? Yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, I think that there's an incredible amount of hatred and racism in this country. That is just, I mean, disgusting. So I think if people, if Americans who have been here, you know, whose families have been here for generations, opened their eyes a little bit and thought about the history of this country, learned from some of the mistakes that were made, and kind of saw the beauty and the positives and everything that's going on here, you know, being able to welcome a refugee that should be like a moving and positive thing. A refugee that probably America created, if we're being honest, <laughs> through the wars. Gosha, thank you so much for this very important conversation. But before I let you go, we'll do our rapid fire round. Um, here I'll ask you just like these short questions and you can just give me short answers. And it's just getting to know you better. So we'll start with um, reading books or listening to music. Reading books. Which books? Can you give an example of what are your favorite books right now? Well, I am reading, right now I'm reading Michelle Obama's Becoming and I hate memoirs, (laughs) but I am enjoying this one. I think it's really fun. One of my 
favorite books is The Making of the Atomic Bomb, I think is the title, or Atom Bomb by Richard Rhodes. So that's more of like a history book, but generally I enjoy classical fiction, you know, Russian literature, things like that. If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? My mom's homemade pizza. Ah. If you could only take three <laughs> things to a deserted island, what would they be? Does my dog count as one? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. So my dog, Astro, I would take Tolstoy's War and Peace, the book. And one more thing. Oh, my gosh. I would take, like, a guy so that we can start a family and <laughs> inhabit the island. <laughs> that's amazing. No, Me. that's such a bad idea. <laughs> I should not do that. Forget the man. Forget the man. I don't know. A water filter? <laughs> and um, name three things on your bucket list. Three things on my bucket list? Yeah. I am, like, not adventurous at all. <laughs> this is going to be very boring. I would love to maybe jump off a cliff into the ocean and not die. I would like to travel internationally, especially to the north coast of Africa. So that can't happen right now and become a professor. Hmm. If you could have any superpower, what would you want? Okay. I could definitely read. Well, I would want to definitely read people's minds because I am paranoid and always overthinking things. <laughs> <laughs> so that would save me some anxiety. Your biggest achievement so far? Getting my master's because it was an incredibly difficult time that I was in school for probably the hardest time of my life for, you know, reasons that had nothing to do with the program, but being able to somehow pull it off. And you're moving forward failure, something that taught you a lesson and has helped you achieve more in life? My moving forward failure. I know what I want to say, but I feel like I can't say it because... It might offend someone who may listen. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. You can offend people. It's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Taking a job that made me work like an ungodly amount of hours per week. So I felt like that was a moving forward failure, as you call it, because it didn't make me successful at work. It made me hate work. Hmm. And it tore me away from my family which made me more bitter. Mm. So I think, and now I have a job with a work-life balance. Yes, that's not bad. That, that's a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I was really unhappy there for a long time. Describe yourself in three words. Loud. <laughs> <laughs> Loud, but also quiet. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, I mean, it does not make sense. <laughs> we, we do have different layers of personality. We can be introvert and extrovert at the same time, I guess. Right. Okay. So, but I'll say loud. Oh God. I don't like that answer. <laughs> um, okay. Understanding, emotional, and a Scorpio. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you ever got? 
You know what comes to mind immediately is something that was not told directly to me, but I remember reading Cosmopolitan when I was in high school and it was the issue with Lady Gaga. And she said, if you're ever stuck between choosing between a man and your career, remember that your career will never wake up one day in the morning and decide it doesn't love you anymore. <laughs> and I have just, I took that to heart. And yeah, I like live by it now. I, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Your idea of vacation? Oh, um, Mountains by the Beach. Your all-time favorite movie? Oh my God. Jesus. <laughs> Band of Outsiders. Or no, 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 no. The 400 Blows. It's an old French film. And what did you like about that movie? The ending. Mm, so I'll have to watch it. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah, I'll have to it watch not- it now. <laughs> yeah, you have to watch it. And um, best Polish restaurant in Chicago, because I live in NYC, so I always ask people about NYC. But uh, by the way, I was also going to ask you, you said you didn't like NYC. Why? I, I, I was so sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Okay, because I feel like it is, they said, though, someone in New York told me that if you're from Chicago, you don't like New York. I think it is, there's no space. I felt like I just couldn't breathe and there are rats and roaches everywhere. Yeah. I don't know. Mm. In Chicago, at least we have alleys. So it's <laughs> all kind of, kind of hidden. But I do love New York um, for its sneaker store. Yeah. Why not, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. But best Polish restaurant in Chicago. Yes. Okay. Um, you know what? My mom, like, we do not go out to eat Polish food because my grandma lives with my mom. So like the best Polish food is at my mom's house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you have to go somewhere, I heard that there's one called Potalanka and it's kind of in like a busy part of the city, not where the other ones are, where it's like Polish neighborhoods only. So that one is good, but if you're ever in Chicago, I will make sure to invite you to my mom's home oh, for a Polish meal. Everybody gives such good recommendations, and I'm thinking of just, you know, making a list of all those restaurants and posting it. Again, coming from people who, who've had that food in their homes, so like they know what authentic cooking tastes like. So Yeah, yeah. so I definitely did not help you with that one because I said my mom's <laughs> no, but, but you, you should but you, do it but you did you recommend that one. but you did recommend <laughs> one right um favorite right. emoji yeah favorite emoji favorite emoji I don't even know how to describe it but it's one of the face ones where he kind of looks distressed you, do you know what I'm talking about I mean there are a lot that looks that <laughs> to me <laughs> it's I don't know how to describe it. You use it either when you're like exhausted or when you're, when something is really funny, those are the times that I use it. Ah. I'll send it to you. Yeah, send it to me and then I'll post it. <laughs> okay. Tea, tea or coffee? I love both. I cannot choose. I drink probably more tea than coffee during a day, but I always drink coffee. And home is? Home is my mom's house, always. Even now that I own my own condo, I just, I always say, home is where your mom is. 
And lastly, I don't do this uh, normally, but is there anything, Gosha, you want to tell listeners any misunderstanding about DACA recipients, any one big misunderstanding that you just want to address? Yeah, I think that oftentimes the media and people villainize the parents of DACA recipients and they're forgotten and many of the they're either forgotten or villainized. And, you know, we're all here because our parents made a sacrifice. And I just want people to be mindful of that. They deserve good things also. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And as, as Gosha said, and I think everyone, if, if you want to know more about DACA recipients, if you want to know how undocumented immigrants are impacting our economy, do your own research. You don't have to believe whatever is said in the media. There is plenty of research. There are numbers, statistics out there that you can look at and see that DACA recipients and other undocumented immigrants are, they are contributing positively to the economy. And we can always make an, uh, an economic argument, but I think moral argument supersedes any economic argument that I could make today. We all hope that one day a bill will pass, which will put them and many other undocumented immigrants on path to citizenship. It's extremely, extremely important. I would also like to thank all my listeners for joining us today. You can check out our website. It's www.alienchroniclespod.com. We, our email is info at alienchroniclespod.com. So if you have a new story to tell or any idea to share, please email us. You can follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at Chronicles Alien. And you can find us on Instagram at The Alien Chronicles. Please stay tuned for our next episode when we will bring to you another immigrant story. And in the meantime, stay connected. 